everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. The Cold Shower Podcast is dedicated to the mission of providing people with original, quality, helpful, and challenging content in order to ensure the listener's personal growth. This podcast is the flagship endeavor of Cold Shower Media. Cold Shower Media is helping individuals, nonprofits, and corporations get their podcasts off the ground. From one-time consultations to full-scale production or anything in between, we've got you covered. Enjoy this conversation, and don't forget to check the show notes for all the happenings related to this episode, as well as the goings-on of Cold Shower Media. Here we go. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. I am once again, like I typically do when things are on my heart um, and there are difficult things to work through culturally, I turn to the to the wise Anthony. And man, you wrote a heck of a blog. Was it within the last week or two? Yeah, I think so. It was four or five days ago. Okay. And I'll just read the title and then I think that's just a good place to start is if you could even almost like define a couple of these big words that you used in the title. And from there, we're going to have a discussion based off of based off of this blog that I think a lot of people, uh, Christian or not, are seeing some things play out in front of them and they're having to decide, am I going to participate? What do I think about this? And really how to move forward when there are these forces that are really pulling people apart. And so the title of the blog was The Sacrilege of Syncretism. Why we cannot confuse the kingdom with the empire. Can you define in some way sacrilege and then definitely syncretism? I will give it a shot with some informal definitions. Yeah. Anthony definition. (laughs) Anthony definitions. I like that. That gives me a lot of leeway. So I would define sacrilege as taking something sacred and treating it as if it's unsacred. When it comes to syncretism, syncretism is literally just a mixing of two things. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. But when we talk about syncretism, when it comes to religion, specifically as Christians, what we generally mean is we're taking Christianity and mixing it with something else. And so then the sacrilege part is we're now taking something that is meant to be holy or uh, set apart, which is our faith. And we're now making it something unholy by mixing it with unholy things. Okay. Just talk about what the blog, kind of an overview of what this blog was about, why it was on your heart, what things are playing out that led to this, because it's something that's been on my mind for like four years. And I think we finally have started seeing it physically play out in front of us probably the last year. Okay. So I think this goes back a bit for me also. I'll go way back first, Taylor, and then I'll get to the more recent past. I was raised as a Mennonite. So Mennonites are generally fairly separated from the broader culture, not like the Amish, but there's a distinct line. And one of the things that was core to Mennonite belief was pacifism or Mm non-resistance. And that very much put me at odds with most of the rest of the culture. So like during um, the Vietnam War, for example, I had aunts and uncles who went into what was called 1W service where they would go work in hospitals or they would do something on behalf of the government they would serve, but they wouldn't go fight. Well, as I went on to college and and got into the broader Christian community, I changed my mind on that. And I thought, no, I believe there are justified reasons that in a fallen world, violence will need to be used to bring about justice. 
Uh, even Jesus says the government bears the sword. Mm-hmm. And not like Jesus was excited about that, but it struck me as there will be a role where force or even violence will be will be used to stop injustice. And classically, World War II is given as an example of something like that. The Holocaust was a bad thing. Right. So I, I went on to describe myself then for years as a just war theorist. I felt like what Augustine came up with was one of the best ways to think through if we have to use violence, recognizing it's not the ideal, but it's kind of a capitulation in a fallen world. We would use it in this way. You have to have uh, just reasons, just means, just results. There's all kinds of fancy terms for all this stuff. And I felt like that's a decent way to think through it. Well, within the last year, this brings me up to date on more recent history. I was reading a pretty fascinating book about the history of Christianity. And one of the things that stood out to me was that just war theory was developed by Augustine as a way to support the Roman emperor's use of force Mm -hmm. to further the Roman empire. And the reason was, this was coming off of Constantine. Constantine had stopped the persecution of Christians. And as you might imagine, and as I totally understand, Christians were really excited about that. Like, whew, people aren't killing us anymore. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that happened was once they got used to Rome protecting them, They wanted that protection to stay. And so what happened was they began to start to support Rome as the empire because they wanted to stay in the good graces of Rome in terms of Rome's protection of them as the church. And just war theory came out of that because up until that time, the early church was very much opposed to its people using violence of any kind, including being in the military. And I, I think there's room to make an argument that because Rome was the empire that it was, it was almost impossible to serve in that military without doing terrible things. And so I want to carve out space for there to be a separate discussion of if it's possible to serve in a way that has nobility because of the causes. Rome, Rome is not known for its noble causes. But nonetheless, up until that time, the church had not gotten involved with the state in that fashion. And then they did. And it has stayed that way since then. And this author was pointing out that it's one of the first times where you see a very clear syncretism begin to happen, where the church intertwined the fate of the church with the fate of the of the empire. Mm. And so because of that, they had to begin to support the empire in ways they would not have before to avoid going back to persecution. And I, I get the motivation But it was the beginning of something that has not been good for the church now for 1,800 years, 1,700 years, Mm. whatever the timeline is there. Okay. I did not know that that's where just war theory came from, what it's rooted in. And that's, I think, what makes conversations like this so difficult and, and has people so confused is that even something like just war theory, which seems to make a lot of sense um, on the surface then you could kind of detract from it by saying, yeah, but it was rooted in this. And so we're constantly having to figure out um, because there is no clear line, like what parts of history should I be using um, to kind of push me forward in today's circumstances? It's that's something that I struggle with constantly. Oh, I hear you. I should clarify, by the way, I would still, I still think just war theory is the best theory we have to think through the justified use of violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
It's not that I am opposed to what that has to offer to the discussion. I only use that as an example right. of it actually was the beginning of formal syncretism between church and empire. Right. And which, yeah. but that can probably leave you frustrated is then if there's um, someone that can look and detract from your view because they're like, yeah, but look what it was rooted in. Hey. Yeah. You know? And so we're constantly having to backpedal and. Yeah. History is messy, man. I mean. I uh, read a book by Tom Holland called Dominion, which has to do with the history of the church. And man, the history of the church is messy. There's no way around it. I just, an ebb and flow of the church does something really well <laughs> that it falls apart. But as Holland says over and over in his book, within Christianity, um, Christianity sows the seeds of its own revival. So even if it starts out well and then falls apart, it revives because the, the call to revive and the means to revive are contained within its teachings. Mm -hmm. And so there is that cycle. I mean, obviously people fall and things fall apart because we're on this side of heaven. But Christianity contains within itself the means to be revived. Jesus obviously at the heart of that, but the teachings of the Bible, et cetera. And you see that repeated over and over throughout history, that the church might thrive and then it falls apart for a while. But within our faith are the seeds of its own revival, and we revive. And I, my sense, and this may bring us back to the blog post, is that we are a church right now in the United States in desperate needs of revival. Mm -hmm. and it, not the Second Amendment that's going to revive the church. I don't think it will be the Second Amendment that I revives don't the bait church. You, bait you in anything. <laughs> um, yeah. So your your blog had really discussed succession, right? Succeeding, succeeding, mm -hmm. um, and is there this splitting that could be taking place within our own country? And is that uh, succession, 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 succession. Yeah. All right. Is that going to involve violence? Is it going to be peaceful? Um, is what is it going to look like and what does that fracturing look like? And is it necessary and where, where do Christians fall into that? And so I think that you had covered a ton of stuff in that blog. And I found it really interesting because this is a nuanced thing. If we talk about the potential splitting of the country, which you said in the beginning, it seems really strange to even be discussing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, had you asked yourself five years ago, whether you would right. be talking about that, it right. seems really strange. But then we see these comments being made by politicians and saying, well, perhaps we should have this splitting off of, um, the population that chooses to follow the constitution and different things like this. And so I don't know what, how should we explain and have a conversation? Where should we start it? Well, Taylor, you're bringing up so many good questions. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm going to have to rely on you too, to help me think my way through this. Cause yeah. I think it's a confusing topic. I mean, I have opinions, but I do hold them somewhat in an open hand, recognizing there's a lot to learn about this. So as I remember it, you know, Texas has been the state that's always teased secession. Always. <laughs> always. For hundreds of years, yeah. right? Yep. Uh, but I should note before I go on, if Texas is going to do that, they need to do it soon because Californians are moving to Texas in droves mm -hmm. and it's starting to change the political dynamic of Texas cities. Yeah. Um, they're becoming more democratic. Maybe Austin will then secede from <laughs> for Texas. the rest of Texas. <laughs> So in my post, I make a distinction between what I think of secession as a citizen of the United States 
versus what I would think of secession as a Christian. So let me see if I can walk through that and feel free to ask any questions or add anything you're thinking of, Taylor. If I were to think of it purely as a citizen of the United States, I am basing it purely off the Constitution, I think. And if there are justified reasons for secession or revolution, which we've done once in the past, at least revolution, um, it would have to be based on the idea that somehow part of the United States is not following the Constitution is th- and is thus unjust, illegitimate, illegal, et cetera. And another part of the United States wants to follow the Constitution, and the part that follows the Constitution would have to be the true United States. And so the tension right now is the idea that uh, Republicans, and I don't know if I would simply say Trumpian Republicans, that that's probably more fair because I don't think this is endemic to all Republicans. But specifically since the election with the very strong feeling in certain circles that this was in a sense a coup, um, an undermining of a just election and a discarding of the Constitution. There would therefore be justification in kind of exerting states' rights and taking as many states who want to band together and secede from the United States that is in some sense no longer the United States as it was founded. So this secession would be on behalf of those who are the true constitutionalist patriots in the United States. So if I'm thinking about it totally as a citizen, then I think you simply view it through the lens of empires and constitutions. What are our legal rights? Do we believe this is genuinely an upending of the constitution? I don't think there was that kind of wholesale problems with the election. I I mean, I'm pretty sure every election we have has problems, (laughs) just to be clear, but I don't think this election was unique. Um, So I, I don't feel that strongly, but for people who do, there's a real sense that if America is to survive as America, we might have to leave Mm -hmm. Um, because what's emerging through the Biden election and what's coming from the left is going to displace the constitution. Okay. I have opinions on that, but I would have an opinion as a citizen about the politics of that kind of discussion. I think there's a separate discussion that Christians have to have because as Christians, we are Republicans, Democrats, independents, you name it. And when it comes to us thinking about our involvement in potential cultural movements, our responsibility as Christians is to think first as Christians. What should I do as a Christian? So to me, that's going to introduce a very different dynamic. What does Jesus call me to do in this situation? All right. I don't think Jesus demands that I, I'll go back to Second Amendment. I don't think Jesus demands that um, I take a stand such that you can pry my gun from my cold dead fingers. Mm-hmm. That's a constitutional thing. You or I could feel strongly about that as a citizen, but the Bible wouldn't tell me to feel strongly about that. I don't think. Um, the Bible would tell me different things about living in community. Now, I could make the argument that what the Second Amendment does is it protects human, or I'm sorry, not just the Second Amendment, though that would be part of it. The Constitution defends human rights and human dignity and uh, things that Christians ought to be invested in protecting. Okay, I do get that argument. That's, that is part of the messiness of this. But I'm coming back to this idea that if we revolt and we create something separate, and by we, I mean 
very conservative Republicans. They they want now to carve off because the the liberal pagan left wants to create a country that is so antithetical. These aren't all my own words, by mm-hmm. the way. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to create the stereotypes. This liberal pagan left wants to create a country that is so antithetical to now see, do I say Christian values or conservative values or Republican values? Right. Because they've all become very intertwined. But the chasm is so far between us. We can't do life together. I mean, Rush has talked about that. Numerous Christian leaders and evangelicalism have used this kind of language. I have it in my blog post. This idea that we are genuinely now incompatible. And the best thing we can do to not only save the republic, but to save Christianity is to secede and create something different. So now we're getting into this weird mix because I also have lots of friends on the left who are going to say the exact opposite. Oh no, those of you who want to secede in that fashion, you're not seceding to save the true church. You're taking some weird strain of it. We're, we're keeping the core of the true church and they would have all their reasons that they would say that. So it's not as clean as simply saying true church versus not true church, right? So I'll take it a step further. When I think of it as a Christian, one of the things I ask myself is, where does Jesus want me in the world? I think the biblical ideal, and this follows the Great Commission, is, and the biblical language is that we're to be salt and light. That means we go to places that need salt, and we go into the darkness because it needs light. And define needs salt. It's kind of a it, think of it as a preservative, like old, yeah, yeah, salt pork and those yeah, things. yeah. If yep. there's not refrigeration, you're using salt. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so yes, you would go to a place that's rotten, <laughs> or has the potential to become rotten and be a preservative, or you go to a place that's dark and you bring light. If I were to become part of a movement that says all of you guys are lost, rotten pagans, I'm going to go over here with my holy Christian friends. And we're going to make a safe country. I think that's antithetical and direct opposition to where the Bible wants us, to where Jesus wants us. I think he wants us to be where we think it's the most dark because that's who needs the light. What did Jesus say? I didn't come for this for the healthy. I came for the sick. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And so when I think of it, I think even if states would do that and they would carve off something that is meant to be almost a more of a theocratic kind of vision, a safe place for Christians. I don't think I would go. Well, no, not just that. I wouldn't go. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that would be quote unquote, the healthy or the people who think they're healthy. I'd much rather be somewhere where the light that I have to shine um, is significant because there's darkness around. Um, I suspect, and I, I just want to clarify this. I think there are a lot of Christians on the left who would feel the same way about going into the Christians on the right who seceded. I think both sides would see the other as a mission field, frankly. Mm. Okay. But uh, I would see, uh, honestly, with a lot of trends in American culture, uh, I, I do think we are we are trending as a nation in ways that are much more accepting and celebratory of things the Bible considers sin. But I think that's where I should be. Mm. Um, you don't want a whole nation of Amish. Right. I mean, the Amish are fine folk, but they're not out being salt and light, making a difference in the world. 
So I think that's the call. And I think it would be ironic if we would separate and then we start sending missionaries to each other. Okay, why do we separate in the first place? Just stay together. (laughs) It's a strange, yeah, kind of contradiction because to me, uh, seceding kind of is like, I've lost all hope. We just got to get out of here and we got to put up our wall and just be be in our own safe little place. But then you're contradicting yourself by potentially being like, yeah, we really need to lure some more people over here. Like, then there is still a fragment of hope in that you think you can spread your correct ideologies to yeah. other people. It's it's just really strange. And I think because we're going to be speaking to Christians and non-Christians, that's kind of also what makes this a more complex conversation. Mm-hmm. But where it becomes, right off the bat, it becomes super confusing because both sides during this disagreement think that the other side is violating aspects of the constitution. Yes, correct. So it's like, you know, was, did Biden's party initially violate the constitution by having an election that wasn't mm-hmm. real or true? And both sides feel like the Christians on the other side are totally missing the point of the heart of Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so it's really hard to even get the discussion off the ground, I think, because both sides are looking at this this thing called the Constitution and kind of accusing the other side of of violating it. Yeah. And sometimes they're able to provide proof. Other times they're not. Sometimes people are willing to accept the proof. Other times they're not. And it just gets really, really messy. Um, but also these are what I'm learning is that these are issues that, you know, have been present throughout history. And so we were talking about the book that I just started reading, American Nations, where as you can help me explain it, but essentially the author and maybe someone prior to him had come up with this theory that North America is divided into these 11 nations. And it's kind of based off of um, like the original peoples that came Mm -hmm. and and populated those areas. So we have something like the left coast that has this culture that is a mixture of the original culture that was there, but was also in some ways kind of shaped by the earliest people that moved over there. Does he call them first nation in the first book? nations? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yankeedom, which is where I think a lot of Michigan would fall. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones, new France, El Norte, which is a, a large Spanish population. That's kind of intermingled with uh, Mexican, but they're, they're mm-hmm. different. They have their separate cultures. What was the deep South? What was his term for that? Deep South. I thought it was just called deep South. Was it deep South? Yeah, okay. Yep, deep South. So there would be just a, kind of this ideology that still stemmed from um, what are, what's it called when you have a king or you have wealthy families and then they have their peasants. Like that's an oligarchy them. or yeah, a feudal, yeah. feudalistic yes. kind of approach. And so how there was some of that mm-hmm. at the beginning. Um, and, and I think part of his argument is that when we talk about American history, we have to recognize there are 11 streams of American yes. history and he's not trying to rewrite in some kind of crazy postmodern. There is no history. It's more of a, We've often studied one stream of American history. And so it, it is American history, but to suggest mm-hmm. that is the American history is inaccurate. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There are different variations and they kind of do converge at times. But I thought that that was really helpful because we, we see like we made the joke about Texas and how they've kind of been circling this idea of breaking off for hundreds of years. And they were kind of even difficult, my understanding, to wrangle into the U.S. to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. These are issues that we've been working through for a really long time. 
But I just think that we are still in such a unique uh, perspective because the growth of the United States originally was a pretty slow process. Like it took time to populate areas and then to install governments Mm -hmm. and to then have all the 50 states um, under this umbrella of the United States. This to me seems like we're kind of almost hitting the fast forward button um, in a way towards Mm. secession. And I think a lot of it is due to just our ability to communicate, our ability to take in news and media, um, to hear from uh, leaders in real time. Uh, I don't know if if you think that too. Like, has this process been sped up in a way that you would have never expected? Yes, for sure. I'm not sure what all goes into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, even five years ago, I would never have thought about it. It was almost more of a joke. Like, yeah, it's a fun thing to talk about, but yeah. it'll never happen. But suddenly it's not being treated as a joke anymore. Yeah. And I think, Taylor, uh, you and I both read that book. One of the things about the Constitution is that it is a pretty brilliant document in that it provides a unifying provides unifying principles for people that are excellent unifying principles and the foundational ideas are really solid foundational ideas in many, many ways. So when you do look at the history of the world, the constitution is an impressive piece of work. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to diminish that at all. Um, What I, what I want to make a distinction about is that it's not the Bible. Right. And that even when you think about, a nation that is thoroughly founded constitutionally. Look at what it's brought us. Okay, it has brought us important rights and freedoms, no question. But let's take something like freedom of speech, which I am a fan of constitutionally. You know what that's brought us? An unbelievable amount of porn. So, okay, so now as a Christian, (laughs) I find myself in this weird thing like, okay, I love freedom of speech. I get to speak my faith out publicly. If we didn't have freedom of speech, I could still speak my faith. I might just get punished for it. Right. But but whenever I say I am standing for freedom of speech, I have to recognize I am making an argument that I want people to have the right to say terrible things or produce terrible things that are very much in opposition to what I think as a Christian brings a health of any kind in terms of human flourishing. Let's take uh, the Second Amendment. I totally understand this, the idea that we, the people, have the right to have the means to defend ourselves so that a fascist government can't take us over. Okay, I get it. Has there been a trade-off? Absolutely. Gun violence and and gun deaths are incredible compared to the rest of the world, almost the rest of the world. Uh, Okay, so I have to recognize as a Christian that if I say I like the ability for us to be able to defend ourselves from an overreaching government. Um, I'm also having to make a simultaneous argument that says, so I am willing to make the trade Mm. that gun violence is epidemic. And I could go through virtually everything. Um, I want the ability to congregate. Uh, That means I want the KKK to be allowed to congregate. Okay, that as a Christian, that gives me that gives me some tension because I recognize embedded within my argument that I think is a solid constitutional argument. And as far as politics go and foundational documents for countries, I think it's brilliant. But I am as a Christian saying I will make the argument that this also ought to be allowed. Mm -hmm. And that makes me uneasy. So this brings me to another point. 
And that is, let's say we do secede and we have a group of people that is a secession of conservative slash Republican slash um, Christian. And the idea is that we might be able to create something of a utopia out of the Constitution. I would ask you, have we created a utopia out of the Constitution? As a Christian, I say no. Um, the amount of sinfulness that our Constitution gives permission to in the United States is remarkable. We're, we are Babylon. Uh, we really are. And once again, that is not because I think the Constitution is a bad document. Um, I stand by the idea that as far as politics goes, I think it's a really good one. But as a Christian, I have to acknowledge what it gives the freedom to. And because people are people, it doesn't matter who secedes. Those freedoms will eventually take you into that unchecked sinful territory. Here's a, here's a practical way in which you'll see the seeds are already sown. Just in the last couple of years, how many scandals have there been in church leadership? Yep. It's remarkable. And it's financial. It's sexual. Um, okay. That's going to go with you. Yeah. Right. This sin is going to go with you and it will flourish. That's human nature. We will never create a utopia. And we might be able to live in a system that curbs particular kinds of sins through the force of law. But we're also going to live in systems that don't do that. Um, one of the things I think about a lot is that the Bible makes a big deal about greed. The Bible makes a big deal about greed. We are a greedy nation. Um, and our constitution gives us perfect, the perfect right to be greedy and flourish in our greed. Okay. You can secede and start a new place. Greed will go with you. Mm -hmm. um, and all the ripple effect of the love of money, man, it's the root of all kinds of evil. I think that's in the Bible, right? So you can take a, a foundational system that has a political bedrock that I think is really good and really exceptional in the world. And just to be clear again, I am not trying to, to trample on the idea that the Constitution is stupid. It's not. I think it's a pretty brilliant document. But it is not enough. That's my point. It is not enough. As Christians, we bring a much more important document that is the Bible. That is our guidance. So let's go back to free speech. My speech is not free biblically. So I live in a, a nation where I have free speech. But the Bible constrains my speech more than the Constitution does. The Bible constrains who I meet with more than the Constitution does. The Bible constrains, I can go through everything in the Constitution. The Bible constrains it more than the Constitution does. Right. So while I like that constitutional foundation politically, it is not enough and it will never be enough. And if we think we can pull away and create a utopia on the Constitution, we're kidding ourselves. It's just not an honest assessment of human nature. Well, I think a lot of Christians are... Uh, convincing themselves that they actually want a religious utopia. You'd said this in your blog, a religious utopia, but what they're actually talking about is a political utopia yeah. and they're, they're veiling, you know, one with the other yeah. and letting them bleed too much into each other. And I think that that's where, you know, you'd said if there was this secession um, and there was this place that maybe uh, based on your title, you would almost belong more to. Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't go. And, yeah. and I, I'm giving that same answer. Like, no, I don't support that. And I would not go there. I think I'm where I need to be. Um, can I, can I add something to that real quick? Yeah. I, I think to my friends on the left who are Christian, 
they would face the same challenge because staying where they are in a nation that is a now a let's call it let's call them left right nations for my christian friends on the left to stay in the nation on the left you've left what you think is the mission field you might need to consider moving to the other one mm-hmm. so I, I think it goes both ways just to be clear yeah 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 it, it, it just seems like it, and we when we have these conversations or we see these we see these things like um you know proud boys and these marches and these gatherings of these groups that claim that you know they're christian groups but they're promoting a lot of hatred yeah um to me i kind of just define it as like these are groups that are willing to kill for their beliefs more than they're willing to die for their beliefs mm. i think yes. and to me um as dramatic as that might sound i just try to lead more towards the what am i willing to die for here it's a great that's a great way to phrase it too mm, thank you they're willing to kill for their beliefs, but they're not willing to die for their beliefs. Oh man, that's, that's solid. I'm glad I could contribute something. Yeah, here. no, yeah. no, because you're right. Over and over through Christian history, you lay down your life. So let's even think about what Christian faced the first several centuries and the kind of cultures they lived. Be- because I do think this is something we have to wrestle with in the discussion. Let's, let's take the modern human trafficking. If someone were to say, Anthony, would you fight to end human trafficking? That's a legitimate question. Like, if I really believe people are being sexually exploited like that and slave labor and you name it, isn't this something that's worth over, uh, that's worth eradicating, even if it requires force? Mm -hmm. World War II is going to be your ultimate example. When you see genocide happening, wouldn't we think it's worth going in and using force? And I think that is a fair question. When I look back on what the church has done most effectively throughout history, it has given its life for victims rather than killed for victims. So early church, Rome, Rome was decadent and immoral in ways we can't imagine. <laughs> and we have a lot to answer for. The, the, what the Roman Christians did was they gave their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, they, in some sense, um, Economically, they adopted the children that were abandoned outside the city. In fact, the early church flourished. They did not commit abortions. That was a key teaching in the early church. Um, But they would go get everybody else's kids who they didn't want. They would take care of other people's sick. They would nurse soldiers back to health. Like They would put their lives into their culture in such a way that they were present and addressing the horrors that were committed. Uh, I'll give you another one. In Greek and Roman culture, the sexual exploitation by free men of everyone else in the culture is just a terrible story. Read Sarah Rudan's book called Paul Among the People. It we I think it's hard for us to wrap our mind around how exploitive the culture was. There were a lot of victims. You know who the church filled up with? Victims. Mm. The church embraced them and helped them to heal and helped them to bring hope. Um, so... The, the church people, rather than going and picking up weapons to eradicate a serious injustice, what we would call human rights violations, they put their bodies between the violators and the violated over and over and over. And that, when you look at church history, there's times we didn't do that. And the <laughs> crusades, inquisitions, I mean, there's all kinds of times where Christianity went through phases where they became the violators. Right. And it never ends well, 
even if you eradicate a particular problem, it'll pop up again in a different way. Mm-hmm. Or worst case scenario, you become the new villain. Um, the Inquisition is a great example of that. So I think to come back to your analogy, what we're called to do is put our bodies between the violators and the violated. Now that is dying rather than killing. Mm-hmm. But if I understand my church history correctly, that has been the thing that eventually changes the world and brings about long-term change. Um, violence, while it can address important issues in the moment, and this is where Jesus said, the state does not bear the sword in vain. I think there is a place in a fallen world to understand there are times we need to stop horrible atrocities with violence. That's the just war theory. I come back to that. Mm-hmm. But when I think of my role as a Christian, I think my body is, my my job is to get between the violator and the violated. Yeah. Even if that means I become the violated, that is a testimony to the world. Um, isn't Martin Luther King the example of this? Mm-hmm. Right? Over and over and over, they simply put their bodies in place to take the punishment and eventually the rest of the culture it was too much. They said, this can't be right. I'm paraphrasing a lot yeah. of, a lot of history, but that's what changed it. It, it wasn't Malcolm X that changed it. It was Martin mm-hmm. Luther's, Martin Luther King's approach that changed it. Martin Luther King is a, a great example for so many things that where I see issue is that you then have side, like one side weapon, the other side weaponizing um, so if we have a, a side that feels persecuted and we saw this or treated unjustly, mm-hmm. so we've seen this with the racial tensions throughout 2020, where some of that manifested in property damage and the burning of buildings yeah. and violence, right? And you have the other side of that saying, well, that's not how Martin Luther King did it. So why are mm-hmm. you guys taking this approach? And then the other side can then bounce it back and be like, that dude was still murdered. You still didn't listen to us. We still are being treated unfairly. And so now we have to resort to this. Mm-hmm. So everybody has their different line and their different uh, way of perceiving historical events. Yeah. And that's why it continues to just be so messy. So I don't know that we're going to, in regards to this topic and secession and the Christian's role or the, the United States citizen's role, I don't know if we can decide for anybody. I think we can give them things to ponder. Like I know where I land on it. Yep. I know where you land on it. Um, but I do think that we're at least going to be able to give people some things to think about because this should not be an easy decision, Christian or not of where to land on this. It's complex and it's nuanced. You need to consider a lot of things. If it's an easy decision, then I think you're surrounded by, uh, too many people that think just like you do. Oh man, Taylor, I think it's messy. I, even as we've been talking here, I've been, I find myself second guessing myself, even as I say things, because I'm thinking of all these other scenarios and caveats like, okay, but we should consider this and consider this. And so, yeah, this is you and I kind of discussing Mm -hmm. through where on earth do we go with this? Yeah. So thinking of like the riots that happened this last year, one question I would have is, has there been long-term change that came out of the fires and the looting and the things like that? And I'm not sure there has that I've seen. I think what happens is people who were already tending to be critical, they double down on their criticism because then they go, oh, look at these crazy anarchists. And 
so I'm not sure it actually changes the, would it be the percentages of people who think a particular way? Right. Um, whereas if I go back to the, I think it's, we would call it passive non-resistance, such as Martin Luther King did. One of the things was you couldn't look at the marchers and criticize them mm-hmm. for like, why would you, why is that building burning? It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with your cause. They, they didn't do it. So they didn't have the criticism. And I think eventually people went, um, I, I find them without fault. Mm-hmm. And that feels like a really powerful witness. I wonder, Taylor, if part of the reason the whole critical race theory issue has become front and center is a response to the violence of the protests, that it became an easy boogeyman, boogeyman for people who disagreed with the violence to then become dismissive of everything. Where I just I just wonder how that would have been processed had it gone differently. Now feel free to push back on that because yeah, I think you and I, I might have different opinions about it. Well, I do think uh, if we talk about you know sometimes we fall victim to seeing, being able to look back and see um, how you know a movement that Martin Luther King led, and he was a very clear voice for a movement like that. And I don't think that's that's one um, thing that I think is lacking right now is that there isn't one clear voice yes, to, this, agree. to yeah. this movement that's taking place right now. There might be an organization that's fueling it. So maybe it's a BLM or something like that, but there's not that, that clear voice. And I think that we do sometimes forget that even the, the nonviolent approaches, people were still very put off by those. And I, one of the things I found most fascinating was with the lunch counter sit-ins yeah. that you'd see, yep. they were taking polls at the time of people like that look like you and I of what they thought about those lunch counter sit-ins. And I think there was three options. Like, will this have a long-term impact? Will this not change anything or will it actually set people back? Like, is this a bad thing? Yeah. And overwhelmingly people voted that it would have little to no difference. It would make little to no difference or that would, it would actually um, impede progress for the future. Hmm. And I just found that, just so fascinating because now we can look back at something like that and say, man, that was just a really uh, cool approach that they had. And so people were finding ways to criticize whatever happened during their, their time. Um, But I, I do think that you're right about the doubling down and the role that critical race theory plays in it. We can talk about Marxism. We can talk about um, the, the perceived threat of communism in our country uh, and how that's leading to, I think, some of these same discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's complicated. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point that you're citing of that poll, that it seems like no matter what you would do, if someone disagrees with you on an issue like that, they're going to, they'll find mm-hmm. fault with it. I don't think I disagree with that. My, I think my question would be, which of those approaches bears the best long-term fruit? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. And I do think that. I do think that that's a valid question as far as, and this is where it gets so crazy because we've seen so many different variations of things happen this year. So we had people that were really going to bat for business owners who had their buildings burned, Mm -hmm. right? They were all up in arms about that. They were deeply distressed by these small businesses that lost their buildings. Um, And we had some populations of people that were saying, well, it's just kind of necessary. Like it was a part of the process. Mm -hmm. and then now we have 
people's restricted movements. Some people would say they're restricted freedoms because of COVID Mm -hmm. and that now there's businesses being shut down. Um, you know, and a lot of people feel that that's, uh, an infringement on rights and freedoms and that's leading to a bubbling over as well. And I'm trying to even figure out where I land on all that because (laughs) yeah, in March I was like, yes, shut the restaurants down. Let's get these programs rolled out and some assistance for people. Um, I still will wear a mask. I have no issue wearing a mask. In fact, I prefer businesses that are enforcing mask policies when I go in there. Um, But at the same time, I'm also like, you know, those restaurants that are being shut down in California after they've followed the 16th variation of a rule being put in place. Yeah. I'm pretty sure if I was a restaurant owner, I'd be operating illegally because I'd be trying to support my, yeah, my staff and my, and my family. And so that's also kind of fracturing groups of people too. Yeah, no. And I, I feel like I've already waited on enough things today. I don't want to weigh (laughs) in on anything else because I find myself wavering back and forth on those Mm -hmm. two. It's a weird tension. So let's do a little experiment, Taylor. Let's, let's, uh, let's think creatively. And so I'm going to do my creative thought experience about a Christian presence in a Black Lives Matter protest and a restaurant that is suffering because of COVID. All right. I'm going to offer my little thought bubble experiment and then you offer yours. Okay. Okay. Um, Because I feel like we'll probably have slightly different opinions and it'll give us good conversation. So I'm going to try to envision what I think of I as a Christian could do um, when we have Black Lives Matter protests, which are protesting legitimate injustice, you know, the killing of innocent people, et cetera. What could I as a Christian do in my way of thinking about it? I think what I could do is show up at the protest. And in fact, the more Christians we have at the protest, the better, I would think, because we're protesting injustice. And then if we would begin to see violence break out, we as Christians could be the ones who go stand in front of the stores putting our bodies in, in between uh, the violence that's happening and going, we are here for you, but let's not do this. We'll add the weight of numbers. We'll, we as Christians will fill the streets with a, a bodily presence to make clear this is not okay, but we're also going to stand here because we think this isn't okay because this store owner needs it. So we would put our bodies in that place. Um, and you can call me on this because mm-hmm. I didn't go to the one that was in Traverse City this okay. summer like you yeah. did. Um, see, I wasn't thinking about it like this throughout the summer. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I would think I could do it a practical thing like that. I'm going to show my support. And now can you imagine if those protests had had 10,000 more people that were Christians committed to, we will make our presence known so that our... Um, so that the weight of a culture pressing back against this injustice is unmistakable. But we're also going to put ourselves here mm-hmm. to make sure that um, we don't allow other injustices perhaps to happen in the midst of it. So it's it's us getting in the way. So let's think about that one. And then the second one will be with restaurants, because I've been thinking about this a lot. What can I do as a Christian? Whatever my thoughts are about masks and shutdowns and all that kind of stuff. One thing I can do is go out of my way to go buy food from restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tip double what I normally tip. I, so I can be creative. I, I have people around here. They'll say things like, please buy from local restaurants instead of chain restaurants, because they tend to have, the chains tend to have more of a, of a backing to right. help them through difficult times or buy from local stores. 
okay, I think those, all those things are things I can do. And it might cost me more as a Christian to do it financially mm -hmm. because a burger from a mom and pop short store is more expensive than a burger from a fast food restaurant. Right. But perhaps that's part of the cost that I'm actually um, surrendering my life, so to speak, to help those in need. So I might not be able to change what the lockdowns are, but I can, uh, I can give myself sacrificially to try to help keep people afloat as best I can. So that would be kind of my vision of a proactive, we're involved, we're trying to help and we're doing it by sacrificing ourselves rather than by asking others to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's just my two little thought bubbles off the top of my head. What, what would you offer in those two situations? Yeah, I mean, I, I did go to the Black Lives Matter protest in Traverse City and, um, you know, I didn't make myself known mm -hmm. as a Christian necessarily. Um, but I felt like it was important for me to be there. And I've become, I think, really disappointed in the Christian community, if I'm talking as as a whole, in their lack. Now, people have come out of the woodwork and they have spoken out against racial injustice in a way that they hadn't before. I think they saw this as an opportunity and I mean, maybe it became more of a reality to them. And so they took the opportunity to speak out against it. But overall, there's a lot of um, people in the Christian community that because they're so scared of critical race theory and the things that that proposes, that they just shut down completely and pretend that it, pretend that it doesn't exist or convince themselves that it doesn't because they can find examples of things that you know, maybe point to that. Um, so for me, I, I think it was important and I've tried to take on a role of acknowledging that racial injustice does exist, that we have a lot of work to still be done and trying to also convey that I think Jesus would care deeply about mm -hmm. these things. Um, with that, it becomes a bit of an intricate dance because there are other Christians involved. Mm -hmm. But sadly, a lot of those Christians that are involved, I think, are also watering down mm. the gospel and Christianity itself. And so I'm trying to also not fall into sure. that group either. So I don't want to be someone that shuts down completely and pretends it doesn't exist. But I also don't want to be someone that's participating in a movement. Um, and by participating in it, I'm actually watering down the gospel. Um, as far as restaurants and things like that go, um, I, I've, I've loosened on this. Like, I think that if there's businesses that have decided, you know, I'm not gonna, um, have a mask mandate for my building and, and I'm going to go against those rules. Um, okay. Personally, I'm like, I just went and did some Christmas shopping on front street, picked up an item for my brother. And it wasn't until I was checking out where I looked around and I was like, there's not a single staff person wearing a mask and mm. they are um, handling all these items and are in close quarters with everybody. There's no sign on the door requesting a mask. Um, and so after I bought that item, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to support them anymore. And it's not a place that I would be spending a lot of money anyway, um, consistently, but I just decided you know, they took their stance and their stance was pretty clearly, I'm going to try to increase business by not mandating mm -hmm. to have masks. Um, that's probably enticing to other people and causes them to then spend more money at their establishment because they're impressed by their pushback. Yep. 
Um, I'm not going to be one of those people. So I'm not going to go there anymore. Um, because I, I think that with the way businesses, the position that they've been put in, they're in a tough position in having to require things that are uncomfortable. Like they, you're, you're asking sometimes a 15 year old host at a restaurant hostess to tell the 65 year old man yeah. that they need to wear a mask. And I yep. think that's a difficult position. And so yeah. I'm going to model what I think is Christian behavior by following the guidelines of whatever establishments that I'm in. I like that. That's what I tend to think too. I want to make the people who work there, I want to make their lives easy. Yeah. I know their lives are already hard. What's the best thing I can do? I'll, I'll just adhere to it. Mm -hmm. Even if it's uncomfortable, just because I want their day to be better because right. I was there, not worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I can do that without somehow giving up portions of my freedom as a, as an American. I don't, I don't find them to be mutually exclusive. I think that I can uh, go in, support those, those buildings and, and wear a mask if they, if they want me to. And oftentimes my wife makes me wear one <laughs> regardless anyway. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm proud of her for that. I mean, she's, she's been um, someone that's cared deeply for her patients. She works largely with the elderly. And so if we're going out and we're going to be seeing other people, we're going to have our mask on because she doesn't want to put them at risk. And so there's always those situations too, where I'm thinking, you don't know what everybody's going through, who they're trying to protect. And if I can play what I think is a, a role in that, then I will. So what if we bring this back to, I have constitutional freedoms and I have biblical freedoms. And so the Bible will once again constrain me more than the constitution will. Mm -hmm. So perhaps part of what you're talking about is I, I would have the constitutional freedom to not do this if I didn't want to. But you, you feel, and I think it's safe to say, you feel as a Christian that a way to honor this person that I'm going to be with is to limit my freedom as a message to them that I'm trying to honor them. And that's where I would just make, once again make a distinction between two different kinds of discussion, constitutional freedoms versus biblical freedoms. Because mm -hmm. I, even though they may overlap to some degree, I think they're in very important ways, two different things. Yeah, I, I think the same way, like even when I'm here at church, um, there's sometimes, especially in the summer, we were outside talking. Mm -hmm. If I'm talking outside with people who aren't wearing masks, I don't feel the need to wear a mask. Right. If someone comes up to me wearing a mask, I'll put my mask on. Mm -hmm. I don't have to as an American, but I think I probably should as a Christian, just a way of honoring them. Yeah. I think that, that that's an approach that more people need to take is just how can we make other people feel more comfortable? I, I don't think we have to be so defensive all the time yeah. and think, ah, if I budge on this little thing, then before you know it, I'm in shackles. Like yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. And I, it might just be me, but I care more about how comfortable the person across from me is oftentimes than my own comfort. And I think if we did a little bit more of that as a whole, uh, we'd be a lot better off. I think it's a biblical principle. Yeah. Love your neighbors yourself, esteem others higher than you esteem yourself. I, I think the Bible says that over and over that we are to have an other oriented approach in life. Mm. Yeah. So does this all, does this all tie into this discussion about seceding and what our role is and maybe the depth of thought we should be giving to something like this? So I don't know that it's, that it's going to go away even when we have a, a change of the president. Yeah. This discussion. I, I tell you, Taylor, 
between posting that blog, now talking with you, and I've talked with some other people, I do find myself in an ongoing flux about how to think about it and the best way to go about it. And the it feels like I can always think of scenarios or someone else can offer me a scenario where I go, you're right. I hadn't thought of that. That might push back against what I was thinking. And then I'll have another conversation. I'll go, no, I think I was on the right track. So I really do think there's a lot of room here for us as Christians. We're, we're having an open-handed discussion where we're trying to figure out what are the things that we close our hands around that really orient all of us. And so while, while I have opinions about this, I'll just restate it again. I enjoy having conversations with others because I think my opinions are always in need of refining. I just find myself personally more and more asking the question, what can I do as a Christian in whatever situation I'm given? And the reality is I can continue to live as God has called me to live in any situation I'm put in. Christians have done this for 2000 years. They've done it in free countries. They've done it in fascist and communist and re- republics and you give me any kind of culture, Christians have been able to live out their calling as Christians in any culture. Now, some have been easier, some have been harder, right? I mean, there's no doubt about that at all. More often, it's been harder. More often, it's been harder. And in fact, Taylor, more often when it's been harder, the purity of the faith has been stronger. And not that I long for, uh, for problems, but that is a reality that our faith is refined through the fire. It's a biblical image. And when we don't get much fire, I'm afraid we don't get much refining. And so I, part of what I'm trying to come to grips with as a Christian is if America continues what I believe to be its trend toward hostility, toward Christianity, what are the implications for me? Well, it might get harder to be a Christian, but I'm going to fish or cut bait in ways I didn't have to before. That might not be a bad thing. Um, do I have to stop anything I'm doing now as a Christian? No. Um, in fact, it should motivate me to holiness and righteousness and purity, recognizing if culture's getting tougher, our, not just my witness, but the witness of the church in the culture is going to be crucial. Because if we're obnoxious jerks, <laughs> a culture that is more and more inclined not to like us, they'll double down, right? Mm-hmm. But if, like Paul talks about in the New Testament, if we seek to be people who are above reproach, don't give people a reason to criticize you. If they're going to dislike you, they have to dislike you irrationally. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a good reminder that I want to be the kind of Christian that if people dislike me, it's irrational. I can't control that. Right. Um, You know, that's the offense of the cross. But no matter what happens in the next four years, no matter what happens in the next 20 years, I know this as a Christian, I can press into Christ. I can work on repentance and work on with the help of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Um, I can focus on repentance and humility and service, and I can do all those things no matter what happens. And so I find myself increasingly not worried about where we're going because it's not going to change who I am in Christ and it's not going to change what my calling is in the world. If it gets harder, it gets harder. If it gets easier, it gets easier. Um, I have my preferences. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have my preferences. Those are probably largely out of my hands. Right. 
I can be salt and light anywhere. So again, we keep kind of finding ways to complicate this. Um, <laughs> Why not? Right. I, I love that. And I think that that's something that everybody should, should strive for is that level of that level of thinking and that level of comfort, I guess, in the future. Um, like you said, you still have preferences, but there is this larger thing that's happening, uh, which, which I think would really be beneficial to Christians in the U S is to realize, I think you heard it on a recent podcast that the United States is a bit player in God's story. Mm -hmm. We're not the be all end all. And mm -hmm. a lot of people think that we are right because we were, uh, founded as this Christian nation and it's led to all these great things that now we are, we are just the be all end all in God's story. And that if we fall as a Christian nation, then Christianity as a whole is going to fall. God's plan will be ruined. It will be ruined. Um, and what I'm wondering is about the things that you had just said is for people that aren't as far along, I guess, on their faith journey or aren't able to submit to an idea like that, should their role be different than yours is and what you just defined as your role? Or is it, should they be working towards kind of fulfilling that same role, do you think? Are you, are you asking if I feel like I'm setting the ideal? <laughs> uh, well, I, I do believe that maybe not overall, you don't have this perfect ideal. No, nobody does. I'm certain. But I that. think that you're, I do think you're further along than some other people. I think we're all further along than other people. So I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase what you said. I think rather than thinking of it as further along, I want to come back to this idea of roles. Um, and that is, I think what I just said a little bit ago could apply to every Christian, but then how Christians are present in their culture could look different. Okay. So for example, um, do we need Christian policemen? Absolutely. Will they be called at times to use force? Yeah, that's their job because they're working for a government that has the right to bear the sword. Okay. Um, I, I know myself well enough to know, I think I would have a hard time doing that. That doesn't make me, Better or worse, and it's just a different role to play. So just like the Bible uses the imagery of like body parts for mm -hmm. the body of the church, that we all have different roles and there's none of greater honor, none of lesser honor. I think that would be true of roles Christians play in culture. We need Christian politicians. We need Christian doctors, lawyers, taxi drivers, you, you name it. I, I really do feel like we just need Christians to permeate culture. But I don't think every position is for everybody. Um, and I, that's when I feel individuals just really have to wrestle with. Like, I think I know myself well enough to know there's certain places I would not thrive in. And there's other places that I would. Um, and this is where I come back to this messy tension I feel about what do we do with violence? Mm -hmm. Because I do believe in just war theory. So I do believe there are justified uses of it. I struggle with the idea of, of lots of ways in which I think we have historically justified it, but that doesn't mean it's not. So actually, I think there are people who are far more suited than I am to be in roles in society that may require the use of violence to fight against evil because I suspect God has wired them and gifted them in a way to understand it in ways that I do not. So I, I don't stand in judgment of that. That's just 
a difference. Like if you would ask me to come back to violence, if someone breaks into my home, tries to attack my family, would I use violence to stop them? I would. Right. Um, but that's not to me, that's not violence to defend my faith. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing. I'm actually using violence to protect an innocent person. So you're going to see where this yeah. gets messy, right? That I can see ways that in the world, I think violence can be justified in protecting innocent lives, where I don't see it justified as furthering the kingdom of God and furthering the gospel. And right now I'm afraid that our politics and our religion are becoming so intertwined that those things are almost becoming inseparable in a lot of the discussions. So that tends to make me nervous about all violence. Mm-hmm. But the reality is I, I think there's distinctions to be made. Did I just make the whole conversation even more confusing? I mean, isn't that what we do here? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I feel strongly Taylor. Like if you, if we are Christians, we have a calling to be salt and light. We are called to be holy and set apart. And all those things I mentioned earlier, I think every Christian is absolutely called to that. That's not Anthony speaking. That's Bible speaking. But what that looks like in culture is going to be different for different Christians. Mm -hmm. God will match us up where our talents and gifts and abilities fit. Right. Yeah. It actually, my last podcast episode, I again had revisited, um, with my friend Kelsey, who is um, half black, just kind of asked her, like, where are you at with everything now? Now that we're kind of seeing uh, some of these things, these protests and the movements, maybe either they're slowing down or we're not giving them the same attention that we were mm-hmm. at one time. And it wasn't really, she wasn't feeling a whole lot better about where we were. And I had actually, like I do with almost all my episodes where we maybe get into faith or talk about Christianity is I discussed like this higher standard that I think Christians should be held to. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten some pushback from another friend of mine where I didn't, I didn't um, go into enough detail about what I meant. She thought that it kind of sounded like I was saying there that morality and good morals couldn't exist outside of being a Christian. Mm. And I had said, no, I I think you can, you can be a good person. You can do what's right. What I was trying to say is that for those of us that are putting ourselves on the pedestal of Christianity, we should be taking this responsibility more seriously. Like sometimes we retreat to our faith and almost use it as a, an excuse not to take action Mm -hmm. or do what's right. And so we were talking about that. And when we talk about politics and faith uh, getting intertwined, that in itself is complicated enough. But I also know my human tendency and the human tendency of others is to sometimes convince ourselves that we can do a little bit of bad because it's going to end up being good and it's going to end up being worth it. And I think that's a lot of what is happening now, too, is should it come down to violence or should it come down to a secession? Uh, Even if that's a bad thing, you know, it will lead to some long term good and it will lead to this utopia or this safer place to exist. It's the trap of thinking the ends will justify the means, forgetting that the ends will help form who you are. Or I'm sorry, the means will help form who you are when Mm -hmm. you get to the end. Yeah. Yeah. So what keeps coming to my mind, Taylor, is this idea of the Bible raising the bar. And maybe this is a, a good place to land on this discussion is, so if I'm thinking about back to secession, should we talk about secession as citizens based on the constitution versus as Christians based on the Bible. 
Okay, so I think discussions amongst cultures of what you do with your constitution, if you think it's being broken and the implications of that, and at what point do you stage a rebellion or whatever. Okay, that's, that is a legitimate conversations for citizens of an empire to have based on their laws and their documents. Okay, so that's one thing. So I could ask myself as a citizen, what do I think I ought to do as a citizen? But because I am a Christian, that is never the last thing I ask myself. Then I ask myself, okay, what am I allowed to do as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? And I, I might find those in conflict. So there, there might be times where whatever the discussion is, I go, actually, I, I think these align pretty close, closely, but I think in almost every case, the Bible is going to actually raise the bar and limit us. Um, and it's going to say, okay, so you can do that as a citizen of the United States, but should you do that as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? And that, I think that second question is the one I think we're not asking enough. Um, so let, let's come back to, well, I've said that before with speech, mm-hmm. right? Those, those are two different standards. And the b- biblical standard is the one that I hold to. And so I, maybe that's my encouragement. It's what I'm trying to do. And probably what I encourage everyone is to don't forget to ask that second question. When, when the Constitution mm-hmm. says you can do X, okay, cool. I don't, I think the constitution is a good document, but we have to ask the second question. What does the Bible say? Mm-hmm. And the Bible gets to get the final word on it. Yeah. Well, whilst simultaneously existing within a group of people that might only be asking themselves the first question. <laughs> uh, look at the time. Yep, you yeah. Gotta go. Gotta go. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> this is such a, a complex thing and. I think you can decide uh, whether you're asking yourself one or both of those questions is, is the complexity of this question and whether we should be breaking off or resorting to violence or whatever. To me, the fact that it's so complex kind of says that we still need each other. We need all sides yeah. of everything yep. in, in order to create, I think, you know, what has made the United States itself so so unique and special. We there are a lot of great things about it. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I land on it. But I know there's other people that are thinking if it's this complex to work through things, then it means that there's too many cooks in the kitchen and I would just feel much more comfortable, you know, being off by myself. And I suppose that there's going to be a lot of people that land on either side of that and we're just going to have to see how it shakes yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, we'll 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 keep talking and we'll keep doing life together. Yeah. 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 There's always, I'm convinced Taylor, there's always more to learn. I include myself on this. Like I said, I have opinions about things, but man, I, <laughs> the more I study things, the more I know I have to learn. So I feel like it's all part of we're working together and walking together to try to land together on a, on truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll hope that this is a, a period of refinement and that we can come out a little bit stronger than what we came in. Yes. I, I think God is capable of pulling that off. Awesome. Once again, thanks for helping sift through some of these things. <laughs> I don't know things. if it helped, Taylor. <laughs> I, no, I always say, like, even if we didn't figure out some real answers, at least it was therapeutic for both of us. <laughs> there you go. It was good for us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed parts of this too and that it'll give you something to think about as there are certainly complicated uh, times that we're in, but complicated times ahead. And you know, we're all going to be kind of playing a role in, in shaping the future of our faith, our church, our, our homes and our country. 
Yeah. We got to, we got to love each other through this, man. We got to love each other or, or we won't make it. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.